Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 169th episode of the Atlas Society Asks. My name is Jennifer Anju Grossman. Most of you know me as JAG. I'm the CEO of the Atlas Society. We are the leading nonprofit organization engaging young people with the ideas of Ayn Rand in a variety of ways, including artistically um, visual graphic novels, animated videos, and even music. Today, we are joined by Jorge Diaz Cuervo. Before I even begin to introduce our guest, I want to remind all of you who are watching us on Zoom, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, you can use the comment section to start typing in your questions, and we are going to get to as many of those as we can. Our guest, Jorge Diaz Cuervo, is president of the newly founded Universidad de la Libertad in Mexico City, which our 2023 Atlas Society Gala Honoree Ricardo Salinas created to help students learn the principles of liberty-minded society and to build a culture of leadership. Jorge is a longtime advocate for government reforms, having previously served in both the Mexican federal government as well as Mexico City's local Congress. He holds a bachelor's degree in economics, a master's degree in both international management and uh, management of social security systems, and uh, also a PhD in jurisprudence. Wow. Jorge, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. It's a pleasure. So I want everybody to know I'm really excited about this interview because the Atlas Society and the university uh, have some plans in the work for uh, a really robust collaboration, uh, which you will be hearing about down the road. But let's go back all the way to the beginning. Our audience loves to start in hearing about our guests' origin stories. So perhaps you'll share a bit about where you grew up, any early influences that pointed you on the path that uh, you are now leading this university. Of course, um, Jennifer, I was born in Mexico City and I have lived basically all of my life here down in Mexico City, except for the time that I went to school at uh, Southwestern in Austin, Texas. Um, probably my grandmother um, from my father's side was, um, was a person that really motivated me to pursue um, more freedom uh, in Mexico. She, she was born in Merida in the state of uh, Yucatan. Um, and after having six uh, children, she went on to um, get a, a degree in psychology. Um, she even got a, a PhD in psychology and she got very involved in the women's movements in the, in the 50s and 60s in Mexico. Uh, you know, um, for example, the, the rights uh, for women to vote in 1950 was granted. Uh, so she was a, a really a, an inspiration uh, for me and for many people. She was she was a professor at the National University in Mexico for almost forty years. So that was probably my first contact with uh, with the need to open uh, spaces, liberty, uh, freedom for for women and for for many of us uh, at a time when the, when the Mexican. Uh, political system was very um, uh, rigid, very uh, very strong, very centralized uh, in terms of uh, lack of democracy. So yeah, probably my grandmother was my first influence in that sense. I love that story. And I um, am woefully ignorant about Mexican political history. I had no idea that uh, the women of Mexico won the franchise to vote so relatively recently, actually. I, I know that um, Ayn Rand came to the United States, I think uh, in the 19, early 1920s, uh, just six years after women won the right to vote. Um, but of course, every country is, is different. And we'll get into some of that later on. You mentioned that uh, you went to the 
uh, Southwestern University near Austin, and you're now a trustee for your alma mater. Um, how much time did you spend in the U.S., and did that experience uh, help shape your perspective on the kinds of reforms needed in Mexico? Oh, definitely, definitely, Jennifer. Um, Southwestern is a liberal arts uh, university. Uh, actually, it's the, the oldest uh, university in Texas. It was founded uh, 183 years ago in, in 1940, when Texas was an independent republic. You know, um, uh, between 1936 or 37 till 1942 or 43, Texas was a republic before it joined the, the, the Union. Um, so it was the first university to be founded in the state of Texas. So it's it's an old institution. It's a liberal arts institution. It's a private, small uh, institution. Um, and what I found um, very interesting, at least for me, is this, this uh, uh, emphasis they, they put on, on finding connections between different fields of study. You know, that's the basis of liberal arts uh, education. Um, so I was there from 1987 till 1991 for four years. And it was the time, Jennifer, when in Mexico, uh, the president uh, at that time, Carlos Salinas de Gortari, really uh, embarked Mexico in very important um, economic reforms. Um, he downsized the, the, the government uh, in a very important manner. Um, you know, he, he's, he's recognized as a neoliberal uh, president. He, he really put Mexican economy in, in touch with the world. Uh, you know, the NAFTA, the first uh, free trade agreement with the US and Canada was signed in 1994. So it was, it was like at that time when, when I was finishing my, my studies at Southwestern that a lot of liberal reforms were going on in, in, in Mexico. So it was very easy to relate what I was, you know, studying in, 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 in Southwestern and what was happening in my country. So, um, so that's why I, as soon as I came back to Mexico, I really um, got involved in, in several positions throughout the years in the federal government. Uh, pursuing these um, reform policies, um, trying to build a much more open economy uh, based on um, competition, on merit, on, on, on global markets, um, on entrepreneurship. Um, so yeah, it was it was very important for me uh, having the opportunity to study at Southwestern, and now I'm I'm enjoying. I can tell you how much I'm enjoying being being a trustee at Southwestern and seeing uh, how how an old institution is always trying to innovate and to change. Um, well, hopefully for the better, because I know that we have a lot of old uh, universities here in the United States, including my alma mater at Harvard, uh, which just was ranked as being the least free in terms of uh, freedom of speech and censorship uh, on campus. So we're going to get into that because there have been um, a kind of a trend here in the United States of this woke ideology. And by that, I mean uh, this idea that, you know, you elevate victimhood as having some kind of superior moral status and that oppression is everywhere. And only if you are awake to it, uh, are you really in touch with, uh, with the systemic oppression that is everywhere. So there, there have been a lot of changes in, in universities. And I would tend to think that Southwestern being right there in keep it weird, Austin might have some problems, but, uh, and, and I'm, what I really want to get to, which is the main meat of this interview, is the uh, Universidad de la Libertad and how it was that you decided to, um, you and, and uh, Salinas decided to start it, and what was the need for it. You know, I think that there have been other um, initiatives here in the United States to start universities or to start movements to reform universities uh, like heterodox university, but that is almost 
kind of a reaction to, to some of what I was talking about before, some of these negative trends. So um, so as we talked about right before we went live, you are sitting there in the beautiful new uh, offices and buildings of um, the, the university. Um, tell us a little bit about the project. How did it get started? What were some of the challenges that had to be overcome to bring such an enormous project to reality? Okay, so um, this project has been in Ricardo Salinas's mind for several years. Um, it has to do with his with his legacy and with a with a vision with his vision uh, not only for for Mexico but for the world the entire world is uh, that liberty is is a value that we have to to take care of and we have to uh, foster uh, more freedom more liberty because that's the only way to um, get innovation in in, in in all fields of our life. And with competition, then you can you can reach prosperity. No wonder the most successful societies are those that have really um, uh, pursued uh, freedom and liberty uh, at its core, at its senses. So so he's uh, also convinced that um, what Mexico needs is more entrepreneurs. Uh, more enterprises and better entrepreneurs and better enterprises. So we are we're focused on innovation and business. It's going to be a, a university concentrated in, in in business, in entrepreneurial development. Um, and um, he he really wants um, to fight this um, version that has been around for the past five or six years with, with this kind of socialist government that we have, that entrepreneurs are behind most of the problems that we have in Mexico, that an entrepreneur and companies um, steal wealth from the, from, from the poor people. Huh? Um, so he wants to reposition the, the role of entrepreneurs and of the um, of companies uh, in our society, recognizing that they they are responsible for more than ninety percent of our GDP, and that the the social institution created for the creation of wealth is uh, the enterprise, uh, the, the private uh, companies. It's not the government. It's not the job of the government to create wealth or to uh, uh, create wealth. Wealth. So. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's uh, convinced that uh, also that the higher education in Mexico has to change. Uh, I guess in, in, in the US and in other parts of the world, that's also true. Uh, it's, it's incredible, but if you see what has happened in the last 150 years, how, how much our life has changed, how much the world has changed. And if you see a classroom, in the late 19th century, and you see a, a, a typical classroom today, nothing has changed. You know, the way uh, we teach and, and we get teached uh, is almost, it's basically the same as- Right, it's still, it's like back to even the ancient Greece. It's one person behind a podium, a bunch of people uh, sitting Isn't in desks and, uh, like you said, I mean, there have been just so many technological revolutions in terms of how we uh, democratize content, and yet the universities stay the same. So what I understand is that part of the mission of the university is also to find more effective ways of educating these young people. Exactly. And let me tell you something. I mean, it, it is much more easier when you're starting from scratch. Yeah, so true. <laughs> innovative and to do things differently than when you have a an old institution, a big institution, and trying to move that elephant just a little bit takes a lot of effort and work. I mean, um, I'm not saying they don't have to change. It's, I'm just saying it's it's much more difficult for them than for new right. projects like us to to start doing things differently. So yeah, that system of uh, passively 
listening as a student, uh, taking notes, and the night before the exam, just trying to memorize everything, just to forget it after the exam and with the only objective of passing the exam and, and spending four years doing that, um, I think it's it's not worth it anymore. I mean, we have to we have to use different techniques uh, in a much more active learning methods, um, uh, intentional learning methods, uh, with a, a completely different role in terms of the professor, no? more like a facilitator, and, and leaving the, the the learning process to the students. I mean, they are the ones who have to be responsible for the learning process. Um, so yeah, we are we're doing things uh, completely in a completely different manner, uh, Jennifer, uh, with a lot of help from, uh, for example, from Minerva University, from San Francisco, which is a it's a 15 year old uh, project, which is ranked number one in innovation in education right now, worldwide. Um, with uh, Universidad Francisco Marroquín in terms of the liberal core of our program with Southwestern University. Um, so we're partnering with, 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 and we want to partner with a lot of uh, institutions, a lot of universities who are concerned about um, liberty, freedom, and innovation. Um, and, and responding to what you said, that the, one of the biggest challenges we, we've had to face is leading with our government authorities in terms of the accreditation of our program. They are very traditional. They don't like change. change. So we we had to work a lot in, in, in kind of a translation of what we're going to do and what's going to happen in this university and what they want to hear that's going to happen. So uh, we had to yeah. do this translation so that we can get our, our accreditation on time. I guess that was one of the biggest challenges um, in yeah. terms of a government that wants to control everything and uh, they feel they know better. So um, that was- that, that is always battling the bureaucracy. So how long did that, I mean, not only is the campus open, it's built, it's there. Uh, you said the students started on Monday, was that right? 10 days ago, yeah, Monday the 4th. Yeah, uh, so it's, but, you know, that is what we can see. When did this, when was this uh, project kind of a twinkling in uh, Ricardo Salinas's eye? How long did it take? Um, and uh, probably like with any kind of building process, the, the permitting, the getting the approvals probably took the longest, but has this been a decade long project? How long has it been in the works? Yeah, he, he has been thinking about this project at least 10 years ago, uh, he started thinking about it. Uh, he was willing to start when the pandemic no, hit us. Uh, mm -hmm. and, but we've been working in this project for the last, for the past two and a half years. It took us two and a half years to finally reach this point. Um, we have 97 fabulous uh, students in this uh, inaugural uh, and will it be a four-year, is it a four-year um, matriculation, like regular schools? It depends on how many credits uh, or courses you take per trimester. We're working on trimesters, not semesters. Mm -hmm. um, and you can finish in three years if you really are a full-time student. Or, But we believe that, in general, most, most of our students will finish in four years. Yeah. Well, you know, I can see what you're saying about how it can be easier to start something um, on your own rather than trying to reform an existing institution. And it's always a frustration of mine because I, you know, even my classmate, Ken Griffin, um, who's endowed Harvard with uh, just tens of and tens of millions of dollars. Um, and the, you know, rather than gratitude, he gets reviled by the, the leftists at the university. 
and the mindset, you know, of entrepreneurs, of people that find a way to satisfy a billion needs to innovate uh, and to create great wealth, that kind of mindset is can be very, very different than the uh, the kind of academic mindset. So um, expecting that young people are going to somehow manage to become entrepreneurs after uh, spending three or four years with people who have never been entrepreneurs, have been professional academics all one's life. And I'm hopeful that uh, that you're, you'll take advantage of all of the great resources that Ayn Rand herself created. I mean, one of the things in talking about innovation and talking about elevating the role of the entrepreneur um, and pushing back against this kind of, you know, very old Marxist canard that the people that are creating um, new products and services are somehow taking something away. That's another one of my pet peeves is whenever businessmen come and get an award and we all know the line, they always say, well, I really believe in giving back. And I always think, what did you take away? You know, actually you've spent your entire professional life uh, creating abundance, you know, giving something to the community, um, a better product, a, a more convenient service, um, providing value. That's what you've been doing. Otherwise you would not have, uh, you know, been able to be so successful. So um, I think that Ayn Rand in particular has a, a unique role in how, I mean, Atlas Shrugged, La Rebellion de Atlas. It was um, pretty revolutionary in terms of being about entrepreneurs coming together to do great things. And of course, her defense of capitalism from a moral perspective, as well as her, you know, defending um, big business as the as the um, most persecuted minority. And, and that is certainly uh, the case. And, and um, I, I do sometimes get worried that uh, this whole populist political movement in the United States um, takes a page every once in a while from this idea that it is big business or the bad guys, and it's somehow the, just the, um, the, the rank and file workers that are pulling uh, society forward when in fact it's the people, the very few people that can invent new products and services and success, successfully execute and bring them to market. I know that uh, my dear colleague, Antonella Marti, um, she's a senior fellow at the Atlas Society and she uh, runs our Sociedad Atlas. She, that is one of her great themes that uh, in fact, she's working on a book um, on entrepreneurs throughout Latin America. Um, so, and she was able to be there at the inauguration. I'm very jealous about that. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm going to be speaking next week at Universidad Francisco Marroquin. So I'm familiar with that university and I'm thrilled to hear that you're going to be collaborating with them. Uh, but from what I'm hearing, it sounds like that university is is general, right? It has this theme of classical liberalism, but probably you could go and study anything in terms of what you guys are doing. It's more of a focus on creating this next generation of entrepreneurs. Is that correct? And then obviously you just started, but what is the longer term vision of the university? Is it going to be focusing on um, undergraduates or do you eventually see a role for adding graduate level studies and business or law? Yeah, we're, we're working on, on, on another graduate program. Um, sequences that we call hikes, high impact knowledge experiences, which are um, sequences that um, can, can, we're gonna uh, recognize certain abilities or competencies um, and we're also going to have uh, graduate programs uh, eventually, probably next year. We start with, with, the, with the first graduate program. So yeah, uh, Francisco Marroquin uh, is is a jewel for us. I mean, yeah. oh, he's so it's beautiful a, too. <laughs> it's a very good um, project, uh, and we are 
working with them in the development of our uh, liberal arts uh, uh, core of, of our program. And it's a very important one. We went, um, we're working on a, on a liberal, um, uh, you know, ideas and, and um, uh, dealing, I mean, from the viewpoint of the philosophical point of view, from the historical point of view, economical point of view, and political point of view. We want our, our graduates to have a very strong form, formation on liberal, classical liberal thoughts. And that's something that I think in terms of our um, competitors here in Mexico, I think that's something that's gonna, um, you know, we're gonna get get to be known by that. I mean, we want our, Ricardo Salinas especially wants our students to have a very strong um, um, uh, you know, to, to really uh, embrace freedom and liberty and understand why it's important to defend freedom and to foster liberty in Mexico and around the world. So that's one part, that's a very important part of our program. Uh, even though, I mean, most of the business programs in Mexico don't have this. No, they only concentrate in marketing, uh, finance, accounting, you know, the traditional. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, but um, at least one third of our courses have to do with this liberalism, liberal thoughts, liberal ideas. So, um, in that sense, I think we are similar to to Universidad Francisco Marroquín in the importance we give to to um, uh, the the understanding of liberal thoughts. What are we going to be different from them? Is that they. I mean, they have a lot of uh, different areas from medicine to architecture to um, right. engineering. Uh, and, and media production. Practice. Yeah, philosophy, media production. And we're only gonna be concentrated on, on innovation and business. But we're eventually we're gonna be about the same size. They, they I think there are around 3000 students. We will mm -hmm. probably reach around 2000 uh, students like in, in, in the next uh, four or five years. So we're probably gonna be about the same size, just we're gonna be only concentrated on business, but we both will have a very strong uh, uh, liberal uh, component of our program. Very, very exciting. And of course, you're in Mexico and you're in Mexico City and they're in Guatemala. And so will you be drawing students primarily from Mexico is that the the focus? Actually, you know, we we thought that one hundred percent of our students of this first generation were going to come from right. the metropolitan area of Mexico City, but to our surprise, sixteen percent of them are coming from other states uh, in Mexico. So um, uh, that really surprised us because um, we were. They're not offering accommodation. They had to find out where where to live and so on. And uh, we want to have a we want to get into a lot of um, uh, memorandum of understandings for exchanges for students. We want our, our students to spend at least a year abroad. Uh, we want also for them to have a lot of internships and see the real world and how things happen in in the businesses. Having group of Salinas behind us. With its more than 50 companies, give us gives us this opportunity for having our students, you know, having these learning experiences at work, but experiences that are linked with our academic program. You know, um, so that's something that's also gonna um, it's gonna be different here at Universidad de Libertad. This this um, we, we want to push them to go to the real world and come back and go to the real world and come back and see how uh, the theory gets applied or not in the real world. And uh, also we're looking that for that most of our facilitators or, or professors are people that are successful, that have already been successful, either creating new businesses or um, as ex executives or, or managing uh, successful businesses. Uh, we don't want your typical um, academic uh, person who has never uh, uh, gone into business. You know, we want, we want to 
bring real experiences to, to our students so that they can really be successful as, as, as soon as possible. That is so important. And I agree that that is a huge opportunity and a huge kind of gap in, in the way that um, kids are, are currently being educated. They are just in this hothouse, this ideological hothouse, and they're coddled to the idea that they think everything is going to be catered to them. And when they get that first job, it can be kind of a shock. Uh, or <laughs> the alternative is that they treat their campus, you know, their new Twitter campus or Netflix campus or whatever it is, like their old university campus and start kind of making all kinds of demands that have nothing to do with the bottom line. And so they're also harming the uh, the company on which their livelihood depends. So being able to short circuit that very destructive loop, I think would would be a very good thing. Okay, I have more questions for you. But we also have a lot of questions from our audience from all over the world. So let's start with some of those. And everyone who's watching, go ahead and uh, get your questions in. We're going to dive in. Uh, our friend, My Modern Galt, on, is watching us on Instagram. And he asks, Jorge, do you see an issue where Mexicans come to the U.S.? for an education, but don't come back to improve things in Mexico because there's more opportunity in the U.S. Well, it was not my case. Uh, I always knew that um, that I was very lucky to have that opportunity to study in, in the Southwestern, but I always knew that I was going to come back to Mexico and, 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 and apply. I think, I think it, it depends, um, uh, I guess, for, for many people. If they if they get a, an opportunity to stay there, they, they they probably will. But it's not easy, you know, Jennifer. It's not easy. Um, migration uh, rules and policies don't make it easy for for anyone to uh, really apply and and, and become uh, an American citizen or have the right to work. So, um, in my experience, um, most of the people who go and, and study. Uh, in the U.S., come back to Mexico, because most of the people go and and, and do uh, graduate degrees. You know, uh, it was not my case, uh, and I'm a rare case that I went to do an undergrad program. Uh, right, that's, that's not very common. Most people go to graduate programs, um, but no, I, I I don't think that's that's the case. Uh, but I don't have any more data than than my own experience at what I've what I've seen around. Well, and uh, you know, I can also speak again, just from my own experience and uh, anecdotal observations that there are more and more Americans that are uh, moving to Mexico, um, including uh, the woman who does all of our events here in the United States. She lives in, in Mexico City. So, um, and we have at the gala coming up in three weeks, uh, Akira the Don. Of course, he is originally from um, Great Britain, but he's chosen to make his home in Mexico. So um, I think there are things that are shifting and that are underway that aren't necessarily what one always sees in, in the headlines. Um, all right. Also from Instagram, Alexi Kirkhope uh, is asking about educational trends and that in the U.S. there has been a push for kids to maybe not go to college at all and go into the trades, go and learn how to uh, be a engineer or carpenter or uh, plumber or what have you um, and uh, avoid the debt and earn a pretty good living. Is that is that happening in, in Mexico or has that always been the case? No, you know, the, I think the biggest challenge for all uh, traditional universities is uh, losing relevance. Relevance, yeah. So um, interesting. You know, a lot of people are, are questioning themselves, not only young people, but their parents who pay for the schools. Right. Is it really worth it to spend... $200,000 or more 
for in, in, and to spend four years, like we said, right. in, uh, is that really a good investment? Is it relevant yeah. in terms of, of being successful and doing interesting things in life? And if um, us as universities, if we don't address that issue, if we um, become irrelevant, then uh, many universities will, will 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 have a different. I mean, will will probably sure. eventually. Right. So yeah, I think yeah. that's the biggest challenge we are all facing: relevance and pertinence um, in terms of uh, uh, and and also. The market is telling us, I mean, uh, graduates uh, are not useful in our companies. I mean, they, they come out of school and they, they barely know how to do anything. I mean, they, they don't have the abilities or the competencies that the market needs. So there's a dislocation, there's a, there's a problem what the market needs and what's happening in the universities so that Higher education is is is, is it, it, it might become irrelevant. No? Very interesting. Well, that's definitely a theme that I hear echoed by many of our donors and trustees who have uh, large companies and enterprises, and they are just seeing what's coming out of the university and looking elsewhere. Um, all right, on Zoom, Raja Par. Parameswaran asks whether you are involved uh, with the recently proposed University of Austin, also in Austin. Yeah, not yet, but we want to. Uh, yeah, it. It's a very interesting project. Uh, we have a lot in common. And um, I'm going to be looking to, to, to talk to them and, and, and seeing how we can get involved with them. Yeah. Okay, from Twitter, X. Cade Wallace asks, is government corruption an issue in trying to establish uh, the, the university? I mean, I suppose it's always going to be an, an issue if, if they're like, well, yeah, we, we need you to say this or we, we're, we'll get to approving this whenever we get to approving it. Um, it's very difficult because, uh, you know, Maybe they just say, well, pay us and we'll make your problems go away. But then once you do that, then you start to encourage the cycle of uh, government thinking that they can extort from productive citizens. No, you know, we, we, we did not face um, corruption. What we faced was, uh, like I said, indifference and um, unwillingness to um, understand um, a new educational uh, project. Um, some people say that's a kind of corruption, you know, but, but not even like, like having to pay for, for our right. papers. But, uh, but yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a different kind of, I, I like the way you say a different kind of corruption because we tend to think of corruption as bribery, uh, as quid pro quo, what have you. But when you think of the, word corruption and you think of the corruption of of the flesh and, and corruption is really about decay and it's really about something that's become abandoned to the elements which starts to to break down and so in that kind of different sense there is a corruption of of government and a corruption of institutions that um, is taking place so, yeah so for example in in, in mexico the only accreditation agency is the, is the Ministry of Education. For example, I know in the States there are regional accreditation agencies. Here in Mexico, it's all centralized in, in one agency. And um, you know, Ricardo Salinas was not interested in, in having an official accreditation. He said, I mean, why do we have to depend from the government to not get- Interesting. <laughs> We kind of convince him that uh, for for the parents, what right, going to pay. Uh, yes, they want finally the, the, to get their their sons' uh, studies accredited by officially accredited. But you know what we're thinking on? Uh, this is just an idea, but we're thinking of uh, getting together with, um, let's say, ten or fifteen. Uh, 
uh, higher education institutions that are innovative, uh, like Minerva, like Singularity University, like Austin. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's one Marroquin, there's one in Brazil, um, in Spain, and, and create our own accreditation system. Um, oh, I like it. Uh, now talk about outside of the box thinking. <laughs> yeah, like, I know, like, like Standard & Poor's or, or, you know, any other private uh, accreditation agency that, that can um, really stand up for what we want to do with innovation uh, and not depending on government's accreditation to, to be successful. Fascinating. Well, I can already see that the entrepreneurial approach, which is thinking outside of the box, that Ricardo Salina said, well, why do we need accreditation anyway? And, and you know, well, we kind of need it because we're going to be doing, you know, this and we're recruiting and we're competing. And these are the value propositions from the alternatives. And well, all right, but then maybe we can figure out something else on the accreditation stuff. So I like that style. Um, all right, a few questions from Facebook. Candice Morena asks, what was the biggest lesson that you learned, and I guess Mexico learned from the COVID lockdowns? You said that, you know, you guys were kind of ready to go back in 2020, ready to rock and roll, but uh, it wasn't just a health uh, pandemic, but it was this uh totally untried, um, untested, massive global experiment, um, which, uh, you know, however many people it may have saved, I, I think that's a big if. Um, we, we certainly can see that it, it pushed uh, just hundreds of millions into starvation, child marriages, um, and uh, preventable diseases. So, um, and of course, it at least in the United States, the school closures uh, led to generational learning losses. So how was our experience different than what Mexico experienced? And what do you think, if anything, has been learned? Well, first of all, uh, how much damage can a, can a, can a government uh, do to its, to its people um, uh, with, with, with no evidence, um, they scared, uh, they really scared millions of people uh, unnecessarily. Uh, Terrified. Uh, Damaged. In our case, um, Ricardo Salinas decided not to close its, its businesses. We, we were working as, as I mean, we, we took um, precautions and, 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 and so on, but, um, but we didn't close. And, uh, and I think it was the right decision because um, uh, I'm not sure that, that the closure really helped in, in, in any way. I think it did more harm. It definitely did more harm. I mean, all of the evidence is that um, schools and universities and being active and not hiding, you know, in a closed space uh, that trying to, particularly for young people that have just a absolute negligible, if they are, you know, don't have some serious diabetes or another underlying uh, condition. So, um, and I think that there were all too few who, who showed not just a clarity, not just sort of a perspective, right? I like to say you can't be objective if you don't have perspective, but also just a courage, right? That there were, there was such an overwhelming pressure, at least again in the United States to, obey, to not question, don't question the science, and, um, and, and far too few, few, and particularly even very disappointingly, even in the so-called liberty space that so many just bought into the fear and panic, and maybe their donors were fearful and panicking, and so they felt they had to kind of uh, cater to, to those fears rather than taking a stand, being courageous and having integrity and rejecting government bailouts. So, um, so yeah, so the experience for, 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 for Mexico, as you said, was, was pretty dire. And do you still feel like I kind of feel here in the United States that we haven't learned lessons that, that we have a federal government that 
still finds that they don't want to, you know, it's, it's like that, that ring in, uh, in Lord of the Rings that the, they, they don't quite want to let go of the ring and, and the power and the control that it afforded them. They can say, we do elections this way and not that way. We have to change the rules because people are going to die. Uh, we have to pay off our friends at the teachers unions and do this with the schools. And it just, I mean, I think there was a lot of corruption actually that, that went on. If I may share two terrible things that happened here in Mexico, and one thing that was good, uh, uh, two things that were terrible. First, they closed schools for almost two years. So, you know, private schools could, I mean, they got into uh, Zoom meetings or, or, or LMSs, or I mean, they could somehow kept um, some learning Manage. process. Yeah, but most of the children in Mexico that they don't have computers, they don't have internet. They lost two, two years. years of education. That's that's. I mean, we have not even uh, know how the cost of that would be in terms of a whole generation getting really behind in terms of their 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 learning processes. The second one is that the government decided that they were the ones who were going to vaccinate us. So you could not go and buy in, in, in a pharmacy, in a drugstore, you could not go and, and get vaccinated. Like, like in the US, and in the US you could go to a Walmart or, or CVS or anywhere and you could get vaccinated. In Mexico, you had to wait for the government to have the vaccines and to uh, concentrate you in, in huge uh, venues by, by the first letter of your uh, last name, I mean, it was it was a very Orwellian. It was crazy, and not even focusing on you know. Well, let's just vac vaccinate the the elderly and and the uh, infirm people that that really need it. They just do it by the phone book. That's so crazy. The, the vaccination process was slow, uh, was difficult, uh, was scary because they would get I mean thousands and thousands of people in a room waiting to get vaccinated. I mean, it was it was a terrible process. But, but there was a good thing uh, in terms of what happened in other countries. We did not, I mean, the government did not issue debt and did not uh, give money away to businesses. Interesting. Yeah, so um, that really looks good in our balance sheet. Uh, Mexico's debt has not grown. Uh, our macroeconomic indicators are, are very solid. So that's something that they did okay. Uh, although they were, there was a lot of pressure for a lot of businesses wanted to get some because a lot of businesses went broke. Uh, right. Yeah. You can't you can't uh, can't open. You can't survive. Close the restaurants. Say you can only have this many people. I mean. Yeah. But the it's government just did not print more money. So that was that was a good thing in terms of our, our economy. Well, and I like it, you know, it's important to try to find things that and not just catastrophize and say everything was bad. And I agree that in some ways, uh what the government did in terms of shutting everything down. I mean, the way some people tried to respond um, with innovation and finding other ways to try to maintain the human connection or try to keep things going. And, and there was a certain acceleration of certain kinds of technologies. And, and that was a good thing. Just wish it had been under other circumstances. All right, we have uh, about 10 minutes left and we've got some spicy questions uh, here. So uh, we'll Hold on one of those spicy ones and get to a more practical brass tax one, again, from My Modern Galt, um, who says college tuition is very expensive in the, in the U.S. How is Universidad de la Libertad going to keep things affordable? But also, I'm assuming, are you guys a nonprofit or you, you have to make money somehow? Yeah, we, we are nonprofits, but we eventually will have to balance our, our expenditures. Uh, right. We are the most expensive business program in, 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 in Mexico City, probably in, in the whole country because of our model. 
Our groups are small. Uh, the biggest group is 20 students per group. Wow. We have facilitators, tutors, mentors, um, uh, speakers. Uh, our campus is, is, we have we work in this platform forum from Minerva. Uh, there's a lot of technology involved. So it's an expensive operation. But the good news is that we have a very solid financial aid program. So um, we have out of 97 students, only three of them are not receiving any kind of financial aid. Um, so 94 of them are receiving wow. some kind of financial aid. And around 22 or 23 of them are fully um, uh, you know, full scholarship. Uh, so we have discounts, we have scholarships, and we have this program by which um, students go and have internships in, in Grupo Salinas' uh, companies. So uh, they can get a 15% discount on their, on their uh, tuition. And then the companies, the companies pay us, the university, for their internship. So that's a discount for them, but it's an income for the university. And, and they get to go work for the, for the companies. So yeah, if, if, if there's a student that has a character and uh, to be at this university, um, uh, economics will not be a problem for him to study at Universidad de la Libertad. All right, as promised, here's the spicy one. Wyatt516 on YouTube asks, thoughts on Argentina's Malay? Wow, that's, that's a spicy. <laughs> I think it's uh, I think nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, I think it's a it's a big question mark. Uh, there's some um, some things that he has said that I think are completely wrong, but um, there are other things that he has said that I hope Argentina finally ends this socialist uh, 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 time that program. Yeah. Yeah. Program. Um, finally, it's been like twenty or twenty-five years of socialism uh, that has not worked or given any good things for the Argentinians. So I hope uh, they they start building a new path towards a liberal democracy. Um, and I hope reality, um, you know, hits Millet and 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 he doesn't do crazy things like some of the ones he. Some has. of his antics. Yeah. All right, um, Anne M on YouTube asks, is the Liberty Movement growing in Central America? I don't know, looks from what I see, it seems like things are going backwards, but again, maybe you have a different perspective. The, the what movement, I didn't. The Liberty Movement. So, oh. you know, you talked about Argentina uh, being on this socialist path, and then we have Bolivia and other, um, Chile, other countries seeming to say, oh yeah, that sounds great. Let's let's do more socialism, please. I think um, I think we we have to face uh, a reality. Um, I think the the, the narrative uh, around um, inequality is is hitting very hard on, on liberal principles. And I think we as liberals have not been able to create and to explain uh, inequality in, 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 in the terms that we understand them. I mean, we, I think we right. have to, to do a greater effort to talk about inequality in, in a more uh, comprehensive way, because I think all this socialism uh, that's uh, driving all around our continent it has to do with with inequalities, uh, and and they, it's very easy to say the market is responsible for those inequalities, so we have to tax more, and to give out to the poor, to reach uh, better levels of quality, and that's a very powerful narrative uh, mm -hmm. in countries when you see these huge. Uh, uh, differences between social classes you know uh, we all know that Latin America is the most um, inequality uh, continent uh, or subcontinent in the world so uh, 
I think that's that's hitting, and that's what, in my opinion, that's why what explains all these um, socialist governments. That um, I mean, the what all what they talk about finally is is about inequality, and 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 they offer to 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 get a to level up the, the you know the or level the, down more likely. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I think and and that strikes a nerve, and and that's when I spoke about what I'll be talking about at uh, UFM next week, putting the capital back in capitalism, because it starts with looking at the uh, inequality. And so, uh, you know, I, th I think people think that people who are billionaires or who have uh, amassed enormous wealth, that they're just, you know, like, uh, that Scrooge McDuck, that old cartoon character, that they're just skiing down mountains of, of money um, and they're just spending it on luxuries. But in fact, what I see, um, aside from the fact that uh, the, uh, the people who have uh, made tremendous financial success through business, that they're extremely philanthropic, but equally, if not more importantly, they are the seeds for all of the progress of tomorrow by putting capital, all of these startups that I have a crazy idea for um, an electric car. I have an idea for a flying uh, car. I have an idea for making, you know, desalination, what have you, that they come from somewhere. And if you say, you know what? I'm not going to be able to put money into these. And by, by the way, take a risk because 70% of all of these startups fail. So I'm, I'm not going to be able to invest in your company with only a 30% chance of making a return because the government is going to take that because it's abolishing inequality and it's going to just, just put it out there and well, yeah, keep, a, keep a fair uh, cut for themselves in the process. But it's just uh, it's just the way down, and it and it doesn't work. So I think you've really hit upon something. And again, I think that Ayn Rand has a really important answer to that. Okay, so everyone, uh, Jackson Sinclair and Cal Vinian, Habesian, and uh, the rest of you, Malcolm Holmes. Um, I see a lot of great questions here, but guess what, folks? We have three minutes left. So we've had such a wonderful time. Time has flown. And we're almost at the top of the hour. So I want to uh, ask our guest, uh, Jorge, if you have any final thoughts or things that we didn't cover that you'd like to share with this audience. Well, uh, I think uh, time is the most valuable asset uh, we have. And um, I think we have to uh, work harder, Jennifer, in terms of um, constructing these new narratives in terms of why freedom and liberty are the way to, create, to generating much more prosperity. And we have to fight back. Um, and, and I think that's that's why Universidad La Libertad really wants to work um, with you. With uh, of, of course, it's a reference for us. Um, and I hope we can host a, a, an important event uh, for you here in Mexico City as soon as as possible. Um, and thank you very much. I really appreciated this opportunity to reach out and, and for you all to get to know a new project uh, funded by a person who's com completely committed with, with freedom and with liberty. He truly is a modern day John Galt, and we're grateful that Ricardo Salinas is not shrugging, but uh, in fact is helping to turn things around and uh, can often be just one extraordinary and visionary individual and the people that he gathers around him and he chooses on his team that can change the course of history. And I think that's actually what we're witnessing right now with this extraordinary venture of the Universidad de la Libertad in Mexico City. I'm so excited to, to visit. And um, I just, I don't know if uh, my 
trustees will let me because uh, who knows, I might never uh, come back and decide to stay with you. So thank you, Jorge. And I want to thank uh, all of you who have joined us today. Um, if you enjoyed this video, if you enjoy the work of the Outlet Society, if you're not uh, the kind of person that walks by and uh, takes but doesn't give, then go ahead. Um, consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Atlas Society. Uh, it will be matched by our trustees. And most importantly, everyone, three weeks minus one day, it is counting down. I'm going to be in Miami where we are honoring Ricardo Salinas. Uh, this is going to be an extraordinary event. Uh, Michael Saylor is going to be presenting the award and of course, Akira the Don is going to be um, premiering this great new Meaning Wave tribute to Ayn Rand. So we hope to see you there and uh, we'll see you again next week as well. Take care.